1: Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on AirTalk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. Joining us from UCLA, Professor of Nursing and Public Health, Kristen R. Choi. Professor, welcome back. So good to have you with us. Good morning, Larry. Good to be with you. So uh, your thoughts about where we sit right now with COVID-19. We are seeing some increasing numbers of cases in schools where, of course, the mask mandate has gone away and the BA2 subvariant of of Omicron now is becoming dominant. Do you think we're going to be seeing continuing increases in in COVID cases over the next few weeks? You know,
0: it's it's difficult to say, but, but I do think that we're at a very interesting kind of inflection point right now. And um, I think for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned, a number of experts have expected that we might see a wave or uptick happening this summer. Uh, but there's also a lot of mitigating and factors in place that make it seem like perhaps that wave won't be as severe as what we've seen in the past. So uh, it's difficult to say for sure. I think I think of this as sort of a teeter-totter. There's some real risk factors. Uh, one certainly is the more contagious variants that are circulating and now dominant. Another is uh, still low vaccinations and boosters in some populations, Uh, but then there are also mitigating factors, things like the warmer weather, people spending more time outdoors. One uh, data point that I will point to is we've sort of seen a trend throughout the pandemic that often uh, we see outbreaks in Europe uh, and then on the East Coast and then here on the West Coast. And, And just in the past couple of days, we have seen Uh, cases going up quite a bit in New York City as well as DC. There were a number of uh, high profile politicians that have tested positive for COVID and so that uh, makes me think that that could be a signal that we are going to see cases continue to rise here on the West Coast. How big that wave will get is hard to say. I don't expect that it will get as big as what we saw in the past two years, uh, but we could continue to see some increases.
1: Well, and hopefully it's, it's not going to be enough of an increase to negatively affect hospitals because that, that, of course, um, is something we don't want to see finally healthcare professionals getting a little chance to catch their breaths.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and I think that's really the real question of, of how we move forward. Uh, most of us have accepted and, and think that this virus is going to stick with us. And uh, probably for a number of years to come, we will see these seasonal waves happen. Uh, and so it's a question of how do we respond, what do we do about them? And then how do we also just keep an eye on those really serious metrics like hospitalizations uh, and, and make sure that our systems are not overwhelmed?
1: And fortunately,
0: it doesn't appear that our hospitals are overwhelmed at this
1: time. All right. If you have questions for Professor Choi, we're at 866-893-KPECC, or you can email us at atcomments at kpecc.org. Please include your location and your first name. Uh, I also wanted to ask you about um, you know some of the things that, that come up around vaccines and, and questions about side effects and, and the like. Um, Recently, there's a piece about whether um, it's possible that vaccination could have a negative effect on hearing. What do we know about that?
0: There have been a very, very small number of cases of hearing loss or ringing in the ears reported among people who have gotten vaccines, and that has uh, been observed in a number of different countries around the world. Uh, That number is very small. I believe that uh, it's a total of about 160 cases that have been reported, and that's across hundreds of millions of vaccinations. Uh, So this is very rare and very small, but it is something that people are taking a look at and wondering if there is any association of being vaccinated uh, to having these hearing issues. At this time, uh, we don't have enough data to say that there is a causal relationship there. Uh, it's it's very difficult to determine, you know, hearing loss and, and ringing in the ears is something that can come up for people, especially for older adults, uh, just, just naturally. And so it's difficult to know, because the numbers are so small, if it's actually associated with the vaccine, or if it's just a coincidence that it happened to happen uh, after someone got the vaccine. And how uh, would but you... I do think...
1: Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: Well, I was just going to add that uh, you know I do think this is something that's worth studying, even if it is a very rare side effect. Uh, I think it's really important that we understand what those things look like.
1: I, I just wonder with the millions of people who've been vaccinated, and there's example here, 367 cases of of tinnitus from around the globe, and you know that is a fairly common uh, hearing condition as people age, and how would you ever determine it was actually the vaccine that caused it when it wouldn't be at all surprising statistically that more than 367 people just because of, of aging or other uh, environmental circumstances would end up with tinnitus in close proximity after having coincidentally been vaccinated?
0: Yeah, I, I think you you really have the challenge right there. Um, the nail on the head it is very difficult to determine if it is related to the vaccine or related to something else, especially in a population like older adults where it is so common. Uh, you know, researchers could potentially take a look at the levels of tinnitus that, you know, we would expect to be occurring in the population for people that are not uh, in the proximity of being recently vaccinated. Uh, but it's, it's a very difficult study to do. And it's certainly not possible for us to do the kind of study that would let us be quite confident that it's causal. It'll take some more time to tease out uh, whether that link might be uh, might be real or it's something that's just happening due to chance.
1: We're at 866 893 or you can email your question for Professor Choi at comments at kpecc.org. That's what Amy and Torrance did. Wondering when can we expect vaccines for those under five?
0: Yeah, uh, I, I certainly hope it'll be soon, Amy. Um, we are expecting data um, from Pfizer sometime this spring uh, about their their trial for kids under the age of five with the vaccine. And so I, I really hope that things will stay on time and on track. And I expect that as soon as they have data showing that it is safe and effective, uh, they'll submit it quickly to the FDA for emergency use uh, authorization.
1: Do we understand why some people can seemingly be exposed to COVID-19, uh, close and prolonged exposure for extended periods, and uh, you know people who are unvaccinated and not get COVID-19? Do we understand anything about what sort of protective um, uh, things that a person might have that would keep them from getting it, independent of of any? Uh, mitigations to try and, and decrease their risk of getting COVID?
0: This has been, I think, one of the more interesting uh, kind of mysteries around COVID from the very beginning, that uh, in some cases, it seems like it's quite contagious. It spreads quickly between households and contacts. But we do hear of these cases, too, where people are in pro- close proximity to someone who is infected, uh, but don't ever end up getting COVID. And, and the question of why, I think, is is top of mind for a lot of people. I think the the most uh, probably simple answer I can give is that we know that there's variability in our immune systems and how we react to the virus when we're exposed. So many of us, perhaps most of us at this point have probably come into contact with the virus, uh, but depending on our immune system response, once that virus enters our our lungs, uh, we might be able to fight it off quickly and and, uh, kill it off before it's replicated and prevent it from making us sick. And evidence is coming out showing that some people's immune systems have a better ability to do that—to quickly respond to the virus and fight it off before it has a chance to spread, and thus preventing disease. Uh, I wouldn't say you know most of the studies we have so far—they're—they're um, they're quite preliminary. We—we we don't have a great deal of confidence in exactly uh, how we can boost those mechanisms or the characteristics that do give people more ret- protection. Uh, But the best data that we have right now looks like it has to do with immune system variability. Uh, And specifically in the studies that have been done so far, people that have been exposed to other coronaviruses in the past. um, So coronaviruses, of course, uh, are are common and have been common before this current um, coronavirus 19, uh, that those people might have a better ability to respond uh, when they are encountering COVID-19 now.
1: There was some conjecture early on in the pandemic that perhaps there was some protective effect based on blood type. Has that been studied or has that been, now that we've had so many more cases of COVID, was that found not to be the case?
0: You know, that's a very good question. I'm not aware of any recent studies uh, looking at at blood type, uh, whether it's, you know, a protective factor, uh, but it certainly it would be interesting to know if anyone has done um, any any more research on that,
1: yeah. You remember when that was talked about, and then it's all of a sudden seemed like no yeah. one talked about that anymore. And I never heard what if that if the reason was because they just found that that didn't hold up. But, uh...
0: Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I do remember hearing that as a theory as well. But um, yeah, it would be interesting to take a look now and, and see if anyone has done that research.
1: All right. Um, it, it appears that those who have had COVID are more likely to develop diabetes. Uh, this from recent studies finding this association. W- what do you think of this research?
0: Yeah, this is another interesting case of finding an association that at this time, it's it's difficult to know if it's actually causal or not, or if it's just something that's happening at the same time for another reason. You know, when it comes to co- both COVID and diabetes individually, we know that there are a lot of overlapping risk factors uh, for, for the kind of people who might develop uh, disease from COVID or severe disease from COVID as well as diabetes. Uh, things like obesity, cardiometabolic disease, uh, hypertension, a number of of risk factors are shared between these two diseases. And so seeing this overlap, uh, it's difficult to know again if if they're causal or if there's just an association there for other reasons. Uh, But that being said, um, what people think may be going on is a couple of different potential mechanisms if there is indeed a relationship between COVID and diabetes. So one is that it's possible that the inflammatory response induced by COVID when we're sick uh, might increase insulin resistance in our bodies uh, and that lasting immune system dysfunction might lead to the development of, of diabetes. The other um, uh, theory that I've heard is that it's possible that uh, COVID-19 affects cells in the pancreas that produce insulin, uh, and it might be happening that way. So this is, again, something that I hope we'll see more research on in the future to really tease out those mechanisms of what might be going on and why this relationship exists, uh, and if it really is something that we think could be causal or if it's more of just an association that we're seeing for other reasons.
1: All right. We're talking with Professor uh, Kristen R. Choi of UCLA, Professor of Nursing and Public Health. Again, if you have questions for her, we're at 866-893-KPECC, or you can email the questions at atcomments at kpecc.org. I was just quickly looking at the blood type thing and just further confusing it, Professor Choi. I see contradictory <laughs> results about whether blood type uh, is a factor on severity of, of COVID or risk of contracting COVID. So yet another thing to, um, to be studied in the future, because obviously we can't change our blood type, but it could potentially be helpful to know, I would assume, for treatments for COVID and, and uh, you know, just generally for scientific understanding, it would be helpful to have that information.
0: Sure, absolutely. Another thing to add to the uh, long list of, of COVID research to be yes. done, uh, but uh, I, I agree that it would be worth exploring.
1: Well, and and you know, it, to me, it's remarkable. We're we're going to be looking at research from this pandemic. Presumably for the rest of most of our lives, there is so much here uh, to research. And did that happen after the 1918 flu or, you know, once once people, you know, the world sort of recovered from that massive loss? Was there not a lot of of research that continued? for Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I um I I don't know a ton about the science that came out of the 1918 flu. I would assume that there was for sure some that that came as a result of it. But but I do think that Despite all the unanswered questions that we have about COVID, I think it's worth highlighting that there's so much that we have learned about COVID and that um, you know, the scientific discoveries that have happened in a very, very short period of time, uh, our ability to go from an, a brand new virus to a working vaccine and working treatments is really remarkable. Uh, and one of, um, to, to me, the the small silver linings of the pandemic is seeing the scientific response. And you know I, I think that um, your listeners always have such good questions about COVID COVID and getting into a lot of the details and nuance of what we still don't know. Uh, But there is also a lot that we do know and and a lot of really wonderful ways that we've seen scientists step up uh, and help uh, come come to solutions for the pandemic.
1: Thank you so much, Professor Choi. We appreciate it. Have a wonderful weekend and we'll look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks, Larry. Same to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in L.A. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com, at kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle.